everybody. Welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast. And again, in true form and fashion, we have an Anything But Typical guest. And I can't wait for you to meet the amazing Renaissance man, Spencer Luters. And uh, you'll understand when we get a little more into his crazy background and all the amazing things he's done, uh, why I say Renaissance man. And the cool thing about it too is we're gonna get into some of the habits of this crazy guy. And so Spencer, here's the deal. Um, you and Susan, your wife, are walking through the University of South Carolina Stadium. There's a big championship match, SEC championship soccer match between the Gamecocks and the University of Kentucky Wildcats. And I just use that just because my son went there. <laughs> and you are walking through the stands and uh, somebody is talking about you and they didn't realize that you're walking right behind them. What is it that you would hope that they're saying about you? Well, if we're, if we're playing at, when, when I played there, it was called the graveyard. Uh, and so we're at the graveyard, now it's Stone Stadium, but we're in the, in the graveyard and at a game and someone's talking about me. Maybe it's because I was in a, maybe I'm, I'm one of the old alumni guys who were there cheering on the Gamecocks. Um, but what I would hope they would say is, um, hey, that Spencer Luters guy played here, goalkeeper. Um, but man, he went on to, to um, help a lot of people, started 24 hours of booty and, and uh, kind of changed his whole world to, to give back. Um, that would make me feel good. Um, that's what I hope they would say. I love it. And before Ben takes this thing over, we're releasing this on 10-10-2020. And there's only one other goalkeeper that I know that wore 10, and you, there may be more than that, but Cristiano Lupatelli uh, got to wear that number 10 jersey for a couple years uh, from 2001 to 2003. Did you ever get to don the number 10? No, I was I – was one, the traditional, there was a, we had a couple um, ringers from Bolivia who were on our team at the time. And uh, one of those guys was number 10. So that was sort of a forward number at, at uh, South Carolina. So I was one and I uh, still have one of my jerseys from back in the day. So it's good, good memories. That's awesome. Well, you get to be 10 tomorrow. So. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Take so let's back. lay out a little bit of the background. I'm, I'm going to hit on, on four things that are, are kind of going on and have gone on in, in Spencer's background, and then we'll, we'll dive in. So Spencer's been practicing law since 1999. He is the founder of the nonprofit 24 Hour Foundation, and, and he had already alluded to the 24-hour booty, which we'll dive into. And, and what it does is it's making an immediate impact on the lives of people affected by cancer. If those two things weren't enough, he's also the president of State Building Services, which is a premier commercial stone, metal, and wood restoration and maintenance company. And then if that's still not enough for everybody, we have the fact that Spencer is also the founder of Ride Rock Hill, which has developed a velodrome, a BMX supercross track, mountain bike trails, uh, that space, and it's become the largest economic impact project in Rock Hill history. So. Take a second, everybody who's listening to digest all of that, because Spencer's living that every day and we're just getting overwhelmed hearing about it. So let's start with 24 Foundation. First, Spencer, can you describe for us 
what it is and what it does, and then obviously we'll get a little bit more specific from there. Yeah, uh, thanks for that intro. And it's, uh, I'm looking forward to diving into however you want to get into it. But with 24 okay. Foundation, really the, that mission statement um, encapsulates you know, what we're trying to do, which is make that immediate impact. And the word immediate is really important to the mission um, in, in, in this sense. Um, when you're trying to make an impact on people in the cancer community, I think about people who are diagnosed. And two things happen when someone's diagnosed. Number one, the steer in the headlights and they say, you know, how am I gonna, how am I gonna make it? Uh, and then they say, once I make it, how do I get my life back? And those two feelings can be summarized by two words, and that is navigation and survivorship. So that's what we focus on at 24 Foundation. There's so, billions of dollars being raised for cancer research. And you know, we're, we're raising $2 million a year or so here in Charlotte, which is a huge number, but it's not a big number compared to what is going on for the research and on the national stage. Mm -hmm. So what we do is focus on navigation and survivorship. And so what that means is we help people from the moment they're diagnosed, it really pair them up with a navigator um, which is a person who walks you through, takes your hand quite literally, and makes sure that everything you have is dialed in, whether that's insurance, trials, uh, getting <laughs> rides to, uh, to, to classes or to treatment, um, it, just making sure that all your questions are answered because it's really difficult to understand what's happening um, and, and, um, and it makes people panic. Um, and then survivorship is getting your life back and that's coming through treatment and that is um, getting through, uh, taking advantage of a bunch of programs and services uh, that can help you um, gain your strength, gain your mental, gain your spiritual uh, lives back. And um, those are super important. In fact, that there has been research that, that proves that if you have a navigator and participate in survivorship services, um, you have a 30% better outcome. And so that's, that's, wow. a, big, that's a big number. Yeah, it and is. So that's what we focus on. And, um, and I've seen the results here um, at the Lean Cancer Institute here with, with Atrium Health and um, have talked to survivors who, who have come to me during 24 hours of booty and grabbed me by the shoulders and say, listen, I, I literally would not be here except for the services that you guys are funding. And, and it, it takes, I'm taken aback when I hear that, but I, I accept it on behalf of everybody who participates and raises money in the board and the staff and everybody. It's a, it's a huge deal for me. Yeah, it's, this is one that hits home for me pretty well. So my, it's kind of the plague in, in my family and my mom went through it last year and was fortunately able to, to make it through the other end. Um, you see the impact it has on, on the family and then also on, on the individual. So from your perspective, why, why start this foundation? What does this mean for you? Well, um, it's changed. Um, it's changed for me, and, and I'll tell you how that happened. Um, when I first set out to, to, for the what, which is riding bikes around the booty loop for 24 hours, um, I didn't know what was going to happen. I, I hadn't trained for it. I, I just had this idea that I wanted to ride my bike around the booty loop for 24 hours to raise awareness and hopefully raise some money. And when I did that solo um, back in November of 2002, um, I just started riding and I was thinking about the what, you know, I was thinking about what gear am I in? How, have I eaten enough? How, what's my pacing like? All these things, am I drinking enough? And I was just on the what. And over that 24 hour period, I, I got the why. And, and the why was actually given to me 
uh, by survivors and family members of survivors who, who showed up randomly at all hours to ride with me. People I didn't know who had heard about it and they, they rolled up to me, I'm just cruising along and they said, hey, you know, I'm a survivor or my wife survived breast cancer. Let me tell you her story or, you know, or another family member, a loved one. And they, and so we're just riding along and I'm just, I'm just listening and hearing these stories over and over. And it just it absorbed into me what the why of this is. And that's to create an opportunity and a venue and a platform to let people share their stories and raise money to help other people. And so by the end of it, it became my why. And that was it. Like, I was like, we have to do this for real and <laughs> have it like a real event. Um, and I was charged up at the end and, um, and that's been my why ever since. Wow. So, so let's take a look at what that, that looks like today. What in 24 hour foundation, what does 24 hour booty look like now? Things like that. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, we have, it's grown and, and it's, and it's contracted. Um, you know, we started out with one event in Charlotte. We started expanding into other cities. We've been in Atlanta. Um, we've been up in Baltimore, um, we've been in Indianapolis. And what we decided over the last couple of years is that we have a huge opportunity right here in Charlotte. If we really kind of doubled down and did everything we could to make a local impact. And so this year, um, it was a little bit crazy year, of course, but we have decided to just work on Charlotte. And so we've, we've um, parlayed the other events to other people, other groups, or shut them down. Um, it's all with the same focus. The focus has always been the same. Um, but we're running 24 hours of booty here in Charlotte, and we're working on a series of, as soon as the world gets back to normal, a series of other events that will be attractive to folks um, in different formats to, um, to help us raise money and awareness for cancer navigation and survivorship. Mm -hmm. I think that's incredible, the impact you're making. For Thank anybody you, outside of Charlotte uh, who doesn't know what the booty loop is, it's a three-mile loop in one of the prettiest parts of Charlotte in uh, Myers Park where it's got these beautiful oak trees that are lining the streets. And it's just a gorgeous, it's one of my favorite places in Charlotte. But uh, so that's why <laughs> and it's called the booty loop. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yep. And I didn't name it that, Gary. I, you know, I, some people tagged me with that and, and it was here. I moved here in 99 and it was, it was already the booty loop. So um, oh, yeah. it is what it is, right? <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you don't mind, I'm going to switch gears uh, using that analogy on purpose and we'll get into the bicycle thing later on um, even more. But I want to back up and I want to talk to you about and hear why you got into law, where that took you, because I think you were also an engineer. Is, isn't that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> again, Renaissance man. Um, talk to us about the law career, because when I first met you, you had left NASCAR, I think, as an attorney. Mm -hmm. Yep. So walk us through that career progression, if you would. Yeah. So I uh, graduated from South Carolina with a mechanical engineering degree. I did, I did engineering um, because, you know, looking back, I, my, my thoughts have sort of evolved on why, why I did that. Um, but I, I, um, I could do the work, right? I enjoy the math and the science and it's hard and, um, and it was guaranteed job, you know, and um, good 
engineering job, thought, hey, I can make a career of this. I like, how, I know how to do the stuff. I'm good at it. And, um, and so that was, and I liked the challenge, you know, and playing soccer, I, I, I was into competition, right? And then bike racing into competition. So I'm competing with other engineering students to get the top grades and the best jobs and all this stuff. So to me, I was, it was sort of a, looking back, sort of a competition. Um, got into the real world and I was working as an engineer and I, I think I selected a job that was paying the most, but probably looking back, wasn't like really hardcore engineering. Um, it was more sort of management, engineering management. And so pretty quickly I thought, man, you know, I think I need to, I want to do something more. I either need to go back to grad school, um, started kicking around the idea of medical school. And I thought about law school. And um, the reason I thought about law school is um, if you have an engineering or science degree, um, you can sit for the patent bar. And so you have to have that background and there's a separate bar for the patent bar. And so pretty, pretty narrow um, and uh, area of expertise that is very valuable and, and continues to be so. So I was looking at doing one or the other, decided to go for law school um, while I was working. And then I met my wife uh, while we were both working there. Um, random happenstance backgrounds showed up middle of nowhere. South Carolina happened to be there at the same time and um, got married and I quit uh, and went to law school. So we moved back to Columbia and uh, she continued to work. Um, and I was back in law school really as the sole focus to finish the other side and go right into patent law. That was my focus going in, which I think working and being focused um, kind of set me apart, I think, compared to other my other classmates. Cool. So as you went into that, talk to us a little bit more about how that progressed into other things. What, what you found that stimulated you, the things that made you go, ah, I'm not sure this is where I really want to be. Yeah. That's a good question because that's what happened. Um, I, you know, I, I clerked in the summer up here in Charlotte for a, a, the, probably the premier IP boutique at the time um, and really enjoyed it. Um, I loved working with inventors. I was absorbing all this actual doing patent law stuff. And my part of it was um, what they call prep and pros. So I'm preparing and prosecuting and writing basically the patent application. So I'm, I'm you know, across from the table from the engineers and the people that are right and inventors. Um, and then I was, I was writing these documents and, and then hopefully getting them patents. So did that in the summer up here, really enjoyed it. Second summer I went, I was here and I went to Portland, Oregon for a little different experience to see how that was, but ultimately decided um, to move up here to Charlotte and took a job. Um, at that time it merged, that IP firm merged with a big general practice firm. And, um, and so went to work for basically a big law firm at that point. And what I liked about it was the same, um, you know, being around inventors, creative people, um, and they're thinking not only as I'm just inventing stuff, but how do I market it? Um, and can I make a business out of this? Where does IP fit into the realm of, you know, this business, how important is it? Um, and then I also, you know, over time, I realized, um, wow, I mean, I am sitting at my desk for 12, 13 hours a day grinding out these very technical arcane documents. Um, and it's like a slow motion chess match with the patent office. It, at that time, it was, you know, it'd take two, three years to get 
to get something through. So you're, you know, it's just a long, slow chess match. And, um, and so I, I, I looked around, I said, you know, I, I don't really want to, I don't want to do this sitting at a desk. I have too much energy. I'm thinking about all business things and watching what these guys are doing and, and thinking, I want to do that. Like I want to have a company with IP and, and, and be in control of my own destiny. So, um, and ironically, that's when 24 hours of booty started and the velodrome project all started when I was at that law firm and, you know, on top of all the work I had to do. Um, but thinking about it now, those two things were my creative outlet. Those, those things gave me the energy and the, and the drive, you know, to like do something that's mine and watch it grow and think about all the marketing piece and other things um, while I was working. So at some point I had to make a change because I, I realized I really want to do those things and it wasn't compatible with working, you know, huge law firm hours and all that stuff. I think that's really interesting that you mentioned that because to a mere mortal, um, one of those things is plenty. Three of those things on your plate, plus being married, <laughs> is and having kids, right? And having kids, <laughs> <laughs> kind of dumb, right? <laughs> what they do? But yeah. what's what's uh, amazing though is you said something about it. You know, it it fueled your fire. My my words, not yours, probably, but where you derived energy from those things. And I think that's a really important thing for anybody listening is we can go through the path we thought was the path for us and it becomes such a grind. We, we sometimes we have to do that out of necessity, you know, I get it, but we have got to find creative outlets and things that become passion projects, if you will, that make us come alive, I think. And that was one of the things that I noticed about you when I met you after Don Mingus said, you gotta meet Spencer Luters when I came back to Charlotte in 2015. And I understood immediately why when we were sitting at original Pancake House, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, and you were talking about uh, the velodrome and you, you were, I think, you're running or you're, in management at a Nissan store, wasn't that? At the time, yes. Yep. On top we of can that, talk everything about everything else. More. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I only had so much space, Gary. <laughs> I couldn't hit on yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, yeah. but I also knew in that conversation that you had this itch to become an entrepreneur. You already were, but to run a company as well, which I think is. Yeah toss it back to Ben. Yeah, so let's go into the next all of this, right? So with state building services, now you're you're going into more of the running of the business type role, right? You're you're the president yeah. of this organization, things like that. So um, briefly hit on what the company does and then I want to dial in on that presidential role for you. Yeah. Um, certainly and I'll and I'll I'll get there by going back to what Gary said a second ago. Um, it, it's finding what you have energy for is what is where you really need to be. And when I talk to, you know, young people who want to, you know, get into a career or legal career or something, I really ask them wh why 
and what they plan to do with it. Cause it's hard to know. Right. And I look back at my life and what I was did as a kid and what, what I thought was cool. Um, it does, it's not engineering and law, you know, looking back, I, if I should have been thoughtful about where my passion was, um, and, and probably pursued that, um, you know, I'm really thankful for the journey I've been on and I love having the skill set of engineering and, and, and IP law in particular. Um, but, um, wow, what a, what a journey to get to where I am today at state building services as a, as a business owner. And, um, so it took me a while to figure it out and I might've been able to make it happen quicker if I was paying attention to kind of what I really, what my passions were. Um, but again, I'm, I'm happy for the journey, but my, this business, this state building services business, um, is really a culmination of what, you know, running my own thing, like having something that's my own and having employees and doing something good in the community with it. And, um, and it makes me feel really good. I mean, I didn't have any background in stone and metal and wood refinishing and restoration and maintenance, but what it does and what it actually means, um, it is, uh, what's what driving it. And now I have expertise there too, which is kind of cool, but, um, but it really is the whole thing about finding your path. And this business is what is the path I was meant to be on, which is cool. Finally. How did you find in that business, Spencer? Um, well, you might appreciate this. Um, at, at the time, uh, it, it actually, I'll tell you this, it, the short answer, it, it all came within F3. Um, really? every, every person that touched this business, the, the seller, the broker, the finance, the, um, due diligence, um, and the mentors and advisors were all within F3. And that just happened, um, because I was working and I, I'd, I'd post at an F3 workout every day and I was going all over Charlotte, just doing different workouts and get, I just got to know a ton of people and kind of put it out there that I was looking, you know, to, to, to find a business to purchase. And all these guys were just in the, in the right role at the right time when I needed it to happen. It was like serendipity. And all those guys are now they're in different roles, different companies. But at that one moment, everything came together and um, I was able to, to get the business from another F3 guy, which is kind of great. Oh, I did not know that story. That's mm -hmm. awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you what, I see some of those guys that out in the workouts or whatever, and it almost makes me tear up. I'm like, you know, you helped me get this and you're two businesses past this, two different jobs. But at that moment, like you stepped up and like helped make it happen. And like, I'm forever, I'm forever grateful for that. It's awesome. Like those guys had my back when I needed it, you know, it's awesome. So for the uh, listeners who don't know what F3 is, uh, give them a, a quick overview of what that is yeah f3 is a is a started here in charlotte um and it is a um a men's leadership group um the three f's are uh, fitness fellowship and faith um basically there's free workouts that are peer driven every morning of the week all over charlotte all over the country now actually and, and some out of the country um it's just spread like wildfire um so you kind of get hooked on the workouts and then you get to know guys and the fellowship piece is is um is is just the best to me the best part the workouts are super hard and it, it's awesome but um all it's super early in the morning except for one on sunday afternoon you know about gary um, yeah that's but, why i'm uh, leading that one <laughs> yeah. but um 
but then and then there's a faith component that is just sort of um, not too specific and guys can go down different faith-based journeys um, together and, and there's different groups there um, and you can so you can get involved as much as you want you can show up as many times as you want um, you can bring other people and it's just spread like crazy here because it's actually making a huge impact on on other men and helping to be better leaders and fathers and spouses and uh, it's it's pretty incredible they really got got something with that so let's build off of that of, of being a, a better leader and, and things like that as you enter this this role of all of a sudden you're an entrepreneur you you're the president of running an organization which is very different from being an attorney sitting at a desk for 13 hours right so mm -hmm. what were some of the biggest hurdles that you had to overcome early on well understanding the business itself and the employees and what they did, um, all that tactical stuff. Um, you know, I was just absorbing that as quick as possible and understanding the dynamics and what the market was. And, um, I love learning and love learning that stuff. So I was trying to get that done as quickly as possible. It's, it's an evolving ongoing thing, of course, but, um, that was an initial challenge in figuring out really what I had, you know, like what, what is this business? Who is, who are the players? Who are the customers? And, and set about trying to become an expert as soon as possible. Um, but I think, you know, just the way my personality, my leadership style, um, I think developed prior to that um, through 24 Hours of Booty and 24 Foundation, um, working with um, our constituents, which are the riders and the, and the beneficiaries of the, of the nonprofit. Um, and I feel like my leadership style and just how I treat people is kind of based on, on that. Um, and so, that part I wasn't, I mean, I'm comfortable talking to people in front of groups, um, you know, and, and being able to step out on my own and take action. And that really just came from being comfortable by doing it for a long time, um, 24 Foundation. So let's talk a little bit more about the leadership style. Um, and it may be a little, little bit of a leading question. <laughs> but a lot of entrepreneurs hit glass ceilings when um, all roads lead to them and they're the center of the the grand stage and you know there's only so so much they can do you know it's kind of a mm -hmm. control thing um, compare and contrast that with what your leadership style is because as you said you went into a company that you didn't know really anything about I mean, you're a mechanical engineer, you can figure stuff out very quickly, but talk about how you've gone into that. I mean, even 24 hours uh, of booty, 24 hour foundation, Belladrome, mm -hmm. et cetera, you couldn't be the chief cook and bottle washer plus right. job and everything else. How mm -hmm. did you um, lead and um, delegate? So um, my style is servant leadership. And, um, and so that was set up really at 24 Foundation. I didn't set it up to run it. I, I didn't want to run it myself. Um, I had to initially. So Susan and I had a, literally on the kitchen table for years. Um, but as soon as I could, I hired a part-time person, Patty Weiss, first executive director, and then had her grow it. Um, so I was doing stuff, working on it, but I was not the guy. Of course, people want to talk to me, founder. I, I totally get that. And I love being the spokesperson and doing founder stuff, but I wanted it to be able to run itself. 
And so, and it has like the staff, like I literally can show up an hour before the start and it, everything is dialed in. Right. And, but, and that's not the way it used to be. Right. So, but my goal was to get it that way. And same thing with state building services. You know, I was chief, you know, bottle washer, you know, for a long time, cleaning toilets and quoting jobs and doing everything partly so I could learn it, but it, you know, um, built to sell that book. I mean, that you don't have a business unless it's run, it runs itself. Um, and it, and you know, if it's relying on you to do something, um, then you're in the business, right. And you're not working on the business. So I think those things are all true. And so, um, over this is this February will be five years. And I think that the team that we have now is running the business. You know, I go into the office and I have things to do and I'm thinking about vision and systems and, and bigger things, but the day-to-day -day business is being handled and run by my colleagues and my teammates, which is awesome. You know, that, um, and so that makes me feel good because it let people run it, like gives them the responsibility, give them the, uh, the, you know, the role to succeed and help them do it. it um, you know, Mac Lackey was saying that when you guys talked to him, you know, like help people get there. Right. And so I'm, I'm doing the same thing. Um, I, that really resonated me when, when Max said that, I'm thinking that's, that's the role I think as the owner and, uh, and is to, is to help other people succeed and do their, do their role well. Um, before we move on to another topic, I want to go a little bit deeper on that because this is really critical. And I think it's one of the things that I see business owners struggle with a lot, which is having the right people at the table in the right roles. What have you done to make those adjustments and what do you look for in your leadership roles and your people that are working for you? What, what are the qualities that you're looking for and how do you find the right fit for those individuals? Yeah, well, um, it depends on the role, but um, I'll tell you, when I, when, you, when I got the business, I had it. A full staff, right? We had technicians, we had management, and I had to come in and kind of assess, um, you know, were, was everybody in the right seat? And um, there were a couple people that weren't. And these were people that I liked. I liked being around. They they were they were good at at parts of their job, but I had to I was and I was I had to make some changes. And some of them were downright scary. Like I didn't want to do it. And um, fortunately, being in some business groups and having some other peers. Um, that helped coach me through it. Um, I made some of the tough decisions, um, you know, within the first year, 18 months, and it was scary, um, but I had to do it to make sure that the team, it's, you know, survived and the whole business thrived by making sure people were in the right seats. And so after that, we've had this great team and I, you know, if there's, this happened at other jobs too, if you, if you have someone who's pulling the team down, you have to look after the team. And so I've, you know, I've had to make decisions like that and, and continue to do that um, to make sure people are in the right seat. But when you do that and get them in the right seat, I made a promotion to one of my guys in the spring and man, he is awesome at this job. I mean, just, I can't thank him enough. Every time I see him, I just makes me so happy that he's like, wow, he is great at this. He's better at it than I am. You know, like I don't need to be the best at all these things. I like doing stuff, but you get someone who's in the role that they're really good at and they're better than you, like let them eat, just have at it, you know, and just cheer them on, give them the resources they need. And they're, they're happy and thriving. And that makes me happy too. 
So one other thing that I want to say about that is Renaissance man, when, it, when I think about that term, I think of somebody that's amazing and capable individually and they're a superstar. Well, you, you, you are that. But what I love about your story is you're not the center of the ring. You, um, in everything that you've done, even in, including uh, being a goalie for a soccer team, you know, the, 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 the glory uh, and the, the butt of the team is always the goalie. You know, if you let one in, you're the butt. <laughs> and if you, if you save it, you're the, but you got 10 other, you know, players on that, that field. I think it's. <laughs> well, Gary, I, I look at it as this way, as goalkeeper, I was the first guy on offense. Right. So, you know, the ball's crossed over. I go out in the box, grab it out of the air, and I'm immediately looking cross field at my my right midfielder, and I'm hooking the ball over to him and immediately attacking. Um, so many memories of doing that. Like I'm on offense. You know, I'm an offensive guy. I drop kicking it up to a guy on a breakaway. Like you know, I think looking back at soccer, um, invaluable lessons um, taught me work ethic like no other. I suffered like a dog. I mean, just my, my mentor um, was division one goalkeeper of the year, my freshman year. He was a senior. I was a freshman. Best goalkeeper in the country is the guy I trained under. I mean, couldn't ask for a better, a better teammate. Um, but I was nowhere near his level. So I had to train and train and train and just work. And that, that kind of work ethic really never left me. Um, and that continues to this day. Um, still, still play a little bit. Um, and watch my kids play um, has been fun. But um, yeah, I think having, you know, you talk about having, um, uh, not being the, the leader, the center of it. Um, I think that's super important. Um, and I think it goes back to, you know, my, even my childhood, like I was, I was more into um, like trying things, um, you know, and, um, and, um, and, just seeing what would happen, you know, and there's some stories that I can think of that, that kind of led me down that path. And that's been always my way is to try something. And if it works, get people to come along with you on the journey, you know? Um, and I think I'm, I think that is one thing I'm good at is getting people charged up and around a mission or a cause and, and marching down that pathway. Love it. So let's let's quickly hit on on Ride Rock Hill, but we're already starting to get into habits, which is perfect. So, um, with Ride Rock Hill, uh, let's describe why you got into that. Right, where's the passion for biking? Where did that originate from? Why why would you take on a project like like Ride Rock Hill? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and that's, it was a long journey. And so right around the time that 24 hours of booty started, I mentioned, I started working on the velodrome project. Right. I've been racing bikes since 1989 and um, was racing when we moved up here. And, um, and uh, I met a real close buddy of mine um, who was a neurosurgeon. And um, we were at the Tuesday night world championship, you know, criteria and practice race and got to talking and said, you know, we, we need a velodrome around here. Like we, there's, there's only, you know, 19 in the country. There's none around here. You know, this is a great place. We should try to do something. 
And so he had some contacts uh, in Rock Hill and I had written a business plan. I had one and had developed it. It was kind of ready to go uh, about, you know, the whole, the whole, you know, reason to have a, a velodrome. And we partnered up and um, started making contacts with the city of Rock Hill, parks and, and rec tourism folks. And they had no idea what we were talking about. They didn't know what a velodrome was. Um, and it just took a long time to, to convince them. But fortunately, and to their credit, they started believing. And, um, and, uh, and we took the mayor to the a velodrome in Florida. We took some of the city council folks and PRT folks to velodromes up in Pennsylvania. And, and we had economic impact studies done with them. We brought some key figures too that endorsed it. Um, we did everything that they asked us to do, you know, got sponsorships and all kinds of stuff and got a whole movement around it. And, um, and then when Riverwalk, um, the developer around Riverwalk came in, um, uh, a guy named Dave, he, he, he helped get it over the, the, the finish line by donating uh, 250 acres of open space down a Riverwalk to outdoor activities, including cycling. So I remember sitting there at that city council meeting after eight years or 10 years of, of promoting this and they said, approved. And not only is that approved, but we're going to do all these other cycling venues. And it was like, we, my partner, Mike, and I looked at each other like, what, what just happened? Did we just get the Velodrome? <laughs> and so, uh, um, and it just, it just thrived. I mean, that, like, like you said, it's, it's the big, biggest economic driver they've had. And it's really to the credit of the folks down in Rock Hill. Those folks in the city government, I mean, really, I think, put their careers on the line to promote this and um and have run with it and they've done such a good job with promoting it the bmx track is one of the best in the world they've held world championships national championships um and now i'm reading about the panthers having some activity down there and tying in potentially so i'm excited for rock hill you know other than like my role now is is just promoting it to everybody i can i can bring down there <laughs> but the city is is running it which is great um and mm -hmm. the facilities are running and it's it's phenomenal i mean we have a real gift um to the cycling community and the community at large down there and so my partner and i just you know kick back and think you know we we did that we got it got it to where it is and now it's off and running and doing doing great stuff well it's, and, it's just another example of you rallying people around a cause a mission a purpose things like that it's it's another one you talked about it five ten minutes ago and here's another example that strength of yours allowed something that started at ground zero, right? They didn't even know what a velodrome was and you were able to rally an entire community and employees and things like that around something that came to fruition. Yeah, it's been a, it's, you, been a, it's a really great feeling. Didn't you say it was an eight year journey? Oh, at least, yeah, probably 10. Um, but I was there when they put the last, um, panel in the velodrome so people who are don't know what a velodrome is it's this one down in rock hills 250 meters concrete 42 and a half degree banking cycling track buttery smooth really fast um you can watch the racing right there it's great training the bmx track the supercross bmx track which is what you see in the olympics i mean it's awesome i mean they, they've done a really fantastic job with it and um it's unique i mean we have one of the only velodromes in the south we have the only one in the southeast and uh people come from all over to train on that same with the bmx we've got you know world champions coming here great and 
and we've had Olympians and, and world champions come out of that velodrome. So how cool is that? You know? <laughs> yeah, that is, that is so cool. Um, and leading into our, <coughs> that uh, are required, you know, to have a vision, to see it through 10 years, a 10 year span, not give up. You know, a lot of people have ideas, a lot of people have visions, but they don't have the sticking power to see it through. And I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what has been, uh, if there have been some keys for having you stick it through that kind of a duration, because you've done that not just in the velodrome, but other things. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. I think it's, um, with my background, I think it, I'm always curious, you know, I, I, um, you know, I think being competitive is, is helpful, right? When you're continuing just to keep going and perseverance and, um, keep moving forward. But I think having curiosity, um, is also very beneficial. And, um, I mentioned it a minute ago, but something happened to me. I think back now, it's just sort of a pivotal moment for me. Um, and I was at my, my house I grew up in, in Richardson, Texas. And um, there was a field behind my house and um, just open field. And my dad and I were walking back in the field and we just walked across and stumbled upon a, um, a, a big branch, maybe five, six feet long of a weeping willow tree, which is, you know, in plenty of them in Texas. And, and it was green. Like, I don't know where it came from, but it was a green like freshly cut branch of a weeping willow tree in this field. So I said to my dad, like, what do you think? Can we, can we stick it in the ground and make a tree? And my dad says, you know, Spencer, it's so crazy. It just might work. And so we put it back, back to the house, put it in the backyard and it absolutely grew into a gigantic weeping willow tree and, um, and still there. So that, Kind of curiosity like it's so crazy it just might work kind of thinking is kind of been with me ever since so i would i tried all kinds of stuff you know i had a skateboard company growing up and i would do magazines create magazines and trying stuff and I, i'm the kind of guy and this drives my wife crazy but like i know how to get to a certain place but I, instead of turning right i sometimes i go left just to see what happens it may it actually may take me longer but i just like trying stuff see what would happen you know and um and that having that curiosity i think is is just part of who i am and it keeps me going like what what might happen i don't know what just see what happens and just keep going one of one of the things i love about your story and your journey is you have all of these different things going on and, and you're juggling all these balls and they're intertwined as far as being connected to your strengths and, and things like that, but they're not directly related by, right? Getting a velodrome is not the same as trying to run a company or to start a nonprofit or things like that. So I want to dive deeper into those habits that allow you to do it. Um, so let's start with just routines that you have, because we've talked everything about your career, but then also, like you mentioned, your, your husband, your father, there's, there's lots of aspects to your life that you need to be able to maintain your priorities. So mm -hmm. take us through a little bit of, of either your morning routine, your evening routine. If you have 
something in the morning, evening, or both that that helps you prepare for the day or get your mind right? Yeah, so I'm. That's a good question. That and for me, um, I carve out time. I get up super early, and I I do some kind of activity for me. Um, and what's, usually what's super early? Because super uh, early, I've heard four thirty, and then I've heard super early at nine a.m. <laughs> yeah, four twenty. Okay. Four twenty alarm goes off, and I'm sort of like feet hit the floor, and I'm awake. Um, so I have my coffee or whatever, but then I'm usually doing something. So by six thirty, I've got a lot done. And I've, um, and it's usually some kind of working out. I think that that part has been with me, the training piece or racing bikes or whatever. Um, and so that's just part of who I am. And then, but I love having that time by myself because, you know, when I'm working out, um, I am either focused on that or at the same time, I'm thinking about my day, thinking about whatever. And there's been plenty of times I've been, I've been out on bike rides where I, you know, pull my phone out and give myself a voicemail or voice memo that I'm, you know, thinking about something um and or challenging myself in some way um but i'm energized for the day and so i'm good like after i get that part like i'm good anything can happen at that point <laughs> and i'm i may be grumpy if i don't get that workout in or something but um but that's part of my routine and then um i like to i like to read and absorb information and just sort of get a lay of the land um you know i've used those lists people you know abc lists and have your you know checklists and all that stuff and um, I definitely use those from time, you know, from time to time, depending on what I'm doing. But I think for me, that's the main thing is if I get some exercise in, that's just a part of who I am, charges me up, keeps me fit. I'm going to be 50 in a month or so. And, um, I feel great. Like I'm ready to roll. You know, I can, I'm ready to keep after it. it gives me the energy and charges me up for the rest, rest of the day. 50 is the new 30. Just remember that. I hit that. That's right, man. <laughs> Trying to keep up with you, Gary. <laughs> so here's, here's a question. You're getting up at 4.20 a.m. I'm hoping I'm breathing at 4.20 a.m. <laughs> but um, you, you can't do that if you're going to bed at midnight, which is typically when I go to bed. <laughs> when do you go to bed to be able to make that happen? Uh, usually I'm, I'm 10 or so. Um, is good number for me, you know, but my wife will tell you that, you know, if we're watching a program and if I'm sitting on the couch, you know, I'm probably, you know, half, half asleep, um, at nine, you know, but, um, yeah. but it comes and goes, I mean, our kids are older, so they're, they're self-sufficient and we're not, you know, I was the put the kids to bed, tuck them in kind of guy. Um, so they're on their own routines now and stay up way past us now. So <laughs> I think by, if I'm asleep by 10, 10, 15, you know, I can make it. I'm, I'm good for the next day. Good. So once you get into the day where you don't have the time alone, right, because now you have other factors, people are throwing things at you. How do you maintain those priorities on what's most important in your life? Well, um, you know, I get into work and, um, you know, the, I think the, the, the concept of that daily huddle, I think is really helpful. Um, we don't have a, a whole lot of people in the office. It's maybe it's six of us maximum. So um, just touching base with, with the team. And if there's any issues I need to be aware of, um, and then letting them, letting them do their jobs, you know, and, uh, and helping them however I can um, so they can succeed. Um, and then I just, you know, I have a list of things I'm working on as a business owner. You know, you get there's stuff you got to do. And so I'm, I'm those, there's certain things that I'm doing and planning and, and working on the business. Um, but 
you know, I think Mac also said at the other, the other interview you did with him was, you know, just having the freedom to, to, to do what you need to do. Um, I love having that, that flexibility. Um, so I can, you know, I have these, all these other things going on so I can bounce around and if I need to go do something for 24 foundation, I can, and I just sort of plan it into my day, but having that flexibility and that control over your, over your day is, you know, such a gift. Um, there's all kinds of risk and scary stuff being an entrepreneur or having a company, but there's some freedom in, in action, um, freedom in that motion that you have on control of your day, um, which is just the best. I mean, I, you know, I chase that. I, that's what I have to, I need that in my life. And that's why it took, that's why I'm here. <laughs> well, so any, any time that a, a guest can refer to a past episode, you score extra points. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I know that you've got a coach and you're part of a peer-to-peer -peer advisory board group. Um, and we're actually going to have Jeff on our, our show too, because he's got a unique story as well. But tell me about how you got connected with Jeff Wolfberg, how you chose the coach that you did, um, and the impact of having other business owners around the table in a format like what Jeff has put together. How, how did you find that? How did you select it? And, and talk about the impact. Yeah, it's a great question. And it was it's very critical to my success. Um, because I didn't, you know, I had, like you said, I'd been in engineering, I did law, but and I, I worked in management for a brief period prior to buying the business and learned a ton in that in that role. But having the whole thing under my responsibility, um, I was like, I need, I need someone to help figure this out. Right. And um, I just happened to be another one of those things, like a neighbor of mine um, was one of his uh, folks in one of his groups. And um, I trusted her and looked at her business and said, you need to talk to Jeff. So, um, so she hooked me up with him and had coffee and started talking. And, um, and I had been looking at other um, leadership groups, um, entrepreneur groups um, that were, you know, groups of eight to 10 people um, that would get together um, some kind of oversight uh, manager kind of person, leader. And, um, and I just felt comfortable with Jeff. I liked his background and it's, um, it's, it's less formal than some of these other ones. And the value is, is higher, I think. Um, so Jeff and I meet all the time. Um, we meet um, every month, twice a month. Um, and when I've needed him, he's been there and, um, he helped me through some of these, some of the crazy early days stuff, first two years, year or two. Um, so he's been remarkable and fantastic. And if something happened to me, I think he could come in and run, run my business. Um, and that's, that's critical. Um, and then the guys in my group are all in different industries and all started where I was and are all way down the road. And so they have given me sort of the peace and the, and the, um, the belief that I can make it, you know, they're like, listen, you know, I'd be struggling with something like, man, you're, you're just rounded first base, like just, just hang on, you know, and then, then they'll say, and guess what, this is what's going to happen in the next three months. And they're right. <laughs> they're right. And so, um, they, they've helped me a lot and they actually helped me make some of those staffing changes, um, just kind of kept me responsible and accountable um, for doing the right thing. And um, yeah, they've, they've been there for me. I, I learned way more from them than they do for me. 
Um, but I'm hoping to, to turn that around. I've referred people to Jeff, um, people that are newer in our group, you know, I can weigh in on. So um, I love the exchange. I think it's such a, a great tool to have. Find some kind of group that has a mentor, um, either individual or get a group. Um, I think it's super key, super key. So Spencer, what's, what's one of the habits that you're, you're currently working on or you're trying to either develop or you're trying to improve? Um, gosh, I feel like I'm a work in progress all the time. Um, I'm just I everything. Trying, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I think it's, it's working on this scalability of my skill set. Um, you know, we're a certain size company now, but I have a vision to, to, to have some growth. And I think things get more complicated when you have that. So my, I think my style will be the same, but, um, being able to, to have more people involved, um, I think will challenge, challenge me, um, unless I set up systems and have, um, the right people in those positions to, to kind of scale it with me. But, um, you know, those are the things I'm thinking about and working on and, um, making sure that I'm prepared. So there's probably a lot of skills in there, a lot of habits, but, um, yeah. but I'm trying to be ready for that when it comes. Yeah. And, and otherwise you turn into the, the keystone, right? As you try and grow, but you don't build the pieces around you, everything funnels to you. And then there is no scalability at that point. So I, I think yeah. And that's no fun. I mean, no, I don't know any, I mean, that's not the way to do it. I don't, and I'm not sure what the path is. So that's why I have people like my group and Jeff yep. um, and I'm being, I'm open to it. You know, like I, I know what needs to happen or like where we need to be, but, um, but I'm not quite sure how to get there. And that's why you need to have people around you who are smarter and better at things than you are. And, um, and everyone's <laughs> along for the ride. So let's, let's flip it. I just asked about moving forward. What are you trying to work on to, to improve on? What's one, if you look back and you're looking at the start of your career, the 20, 25 year old, that type of range in your life, what are some of the habits that you've developed over time that you wish you knew about back when you were 20, 25? I, you know, that's a good question. I think, um, I think I should have explored really what looking at what I did growing up and what was resonating with me and, and being sort of an entrepreneur, um, and thinking of, I loved marketing and other things, but I didn't really pursue it. I think that one of the, I think if I went back, who knows how my career and life would have turned out, but mm -hmm. you know, if I went into looked at, you know, um, more creative entrepreneur. I don't, back then there probably wasn't entrepreneurship type of degrees or, or, or tracks you could follow, but, um, but that's kind of where I was. I just was in a, in a engineer's body, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I think I, I would go back and revisit that and see if I could really go after that um, and follow my passions, um, you know, and just pay more attention to that, you know? And I try to, well, I try to tell people that now when they were coming up. And, and I think my favorite quote, at least from you so far in, in this episode, is finding what you have the energy for is where you need to be. And, and that's what you were really just alluding to is, is exploring what you love growing up and where you're getting the energy from and things like that. That's such a vital lesson. Yeah. And, you know, you see it too, like in other, I see it in young people coming up and they're pursuing something because they think they should or it's good money or it's a job or their parents think they should do it and or they have some kind of legacy thing and what i found for me at least was if you're chasing something for the wrong reason like you may you may get there but 
you probably won't be happy with it. Yeah. And then you kind of got to reset and, and do other things. So I know people change careers and jobs all the time, but you know, if you can find something you're really good at and love doing, um, I would say just don't be worried about the other stuff. I just go for it. And um, it's a long road, you know, um, but have fun <laughs> along the way, you know. Yeah, you know, you, 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 your career journey um, has some important lessons for, especially when I think about the, the younger folks that are <coughs> this. Um, there's sometimes there's this pressure to like know, well, what are you going to do? I know a few people at a very early age, but you know, I'm still figuring that out at 58. <laughs> so, you know, uh, there's still hope out there, folks. Um, you know, and what I would say is, um, as you're exploring, one of the things that I love about your journey that you said, you know, having curiosity and, <laughs> and one of my favorite quotes from this interview so far is, you know, Spencer, it's so crazy. It just might work. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think it's okay to explore some things, but you, you hit home on the why. Ask yourself, what is it that's driving you? And that, that can be a scary question at times. Well, that's what my mom and dad said I should be doing, or people said, oh, you're really good at that. You should be doing that. But even in some of those other um, you know, pursuits, whether it be going and getting your law degree, your engineering degree before that, et cetera, all of those things are, are still contributing to your, your, your present right now. They, they may be in the past, but they're still contributing and you can still draw and use those things. Nothing's really wasted. Sometimes we can find ourselves in these back road uh, dead ends and <laughs> feel like that, but there are lessons that can still be used. So um, I just, I, enjoyed this um, conversation with you and I do every time that we get together Spencer but um, you know I, I love this notion of what you've done as a renaissance man and that's our words you would never use that for yourself but I like using it for you but the way that it has shifted is because you're not the center of the ring you know I love the fact that you said you know I, I really embrace this whole notion of servant leadership and that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful way to live life, I think. And it's a, it's a great um, mark of a leader, in my opinion. So, Ben, you have any additional thoughts here before we... I mean, I do, out? but I won't keep Spencer here for three hours. So, we'll, uh, <laughs> I, we're at about the hour point. So, I think it's probably a good time for us to, to at least wrap it up for now. But, um, Spencer, I just appreciate you coming on and sharing so much that you already have. There, I've got pages of notes already and the, the nuggets that everyone's going to get from this is extremely valuable. So we will, we'll send people to the websites. We'll send people to, uh, to your, your LinkedIn and Instagram. Is there any final thoughts or anything you want to, to say before we sign off? I just want to say thank you guys for, for bringing me on. It's, um, you know, being able to impact other people has been one of the highlights of my life, whether that's been through the through 24 foundation or just talking to other people. So you guys are, have the platform to allow me and, and your other folks that have been on to share their stories. And, and that, that's, all, that's all good because it's helping people learn 
Um, I love watching y'all's video shows and podcasts um, and learning. And this is a great platform to do it. So appreciate you guys and keep up, keep it up. It's good stuff. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Spencer. Have a great weekend, you guys. All right, too.